Medicare for all. Your bros can suck my balls. Fuck your reply, guys. Please don't fuck your reply, guys. Just listen to reply, guys. <laughs> he is very funny. Um, well, we're, yeah, all right. So hello and welcome back to Reply, guys. I was just giving uh, Julia an update on uh, Little Albert and Little Pearl. This is Kate Willett. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and of course, I'm Julia Clare, and we are the leftist feminist comedy podcast for the rest of us uh, with cats. I've been thinking about, <laughs> I've been thinking about some new slogans for us. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pitch them to you. All right. Okay. The leftist feminist comedy podcast that never became into Nazbol politics after Bernie lost. That's right. Um, the leftist feminist podcast that was not enthusiastic about anti-vaccine propaganda. <laughs> uh, the leftist feminist podcast that never became rich off Patreon. <laughs> Related. Yeah. <laughs> The leftist feminist podcast that makes very little uh, money off of our our labor. The, the the leftist feminist podcast that never had Alex Jones on. <laughs> that was so insane. That Wait, was, was it so... Alex Jones or Steve Bannon? I don't know. No, it's both, right? It was both. It's both. Oh it's my god. It's both. Yeah. But um we're just we're not far left enough, I guess, to have Alex Jones and Steve Bannon. The leftist feminist feminist comedy podcast that is not particularly woke or anti woke, like a <laughs> six on the woke scale, just uh, yeah. straight down the middle. <laughs> um, the leftist feminist comedy podcast that thinks that corporate control over speech is concerning, but not as much as going to jail. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, that tweet is gonna put me in the hospital. Okay, I, so uh, is this? Are we doing Matt Taibbi Reply Guy of the Week? Just as a throwback, because we haven't really had we had our boy done on for a while. Of the week. Um, I saw this tweet last night, and I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. Um, Kate's what Kate mentioned about uh, corporate control of free speech is related. Um, but <laughs> Matt Taibbi said this in, in a thread, laws can be repealed. There's a process. People zapped from platforms have no rights and no recourse. <laughs> what? <laughs> Just of all the things happen. I mean, that's like truly someone who lives and dies online. I mean, this guy wrote a book on Eric Garner. This is, I mean, this is, I, here's the thing. I am actually becoming increasingly concerned about these platforms having so much control over what what speech is allowed because I don't think that they have, you know, I'll, and I'll give you a concrete example. Like um, Abby Martin, who has done, I think, some really great reporting on, uh, on Palestine, um, it, you know, I think what was her documentary called um, Gaza Fights for Freedom. She had a ton of work removed from YouTube because she did not. Um, she had a show on Russia Today, so they removed all the episodes, um, you know, and no recourse. And it's like, 
you know, I, I do think like, especially with the war in Ukraine, it was very concerning to me that yeah, so many, I don't know, we just, we did see a, a crackdown of a, of a certain variety. And I'm not saying that I necessarily like this. Is, I don't, I actually don't know what Abby Martin has been tweeting about Ukraine. And I, I would definitely not say that I, you know, would agree a hundred percent with everything our takes on anything, but I just think, you know, in terms of like, should, you know, people be subject to having their work removed just because of U.S. political interests? I don't know. That does bother me. But at the same time, this tweet, I mean, it's ironic because it makes it clear that the greatest favor that could ever be done for Matt Taibbi would be to kick him off Twitter, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. um, I am concerned about it insofar as... Uh, are domestic oligarchs running the platforms, I guess. And I guess that's true of all of them. However, I'm, I'm particularly concerned now that Elon Musk has a um, quote unquote, like majority stake in Twitter. It's not majority. He's just the largest stakeholder. He's like, he he owns 9% of it. He's he's the largest shareholder. Yeah. Majority shareholding in terms of, or whatever. He's the, the biggest shareholder. Um, and also, interestingly enough, I was doing some research on this. So when you acquire a certain percentage of a company, you have to report it to the Securities and Exchange Commission. And Elon Musk was 11 days late doing this. And he kept, he didn't report his purchases the whole time and he kept purchasing every day so he was buying more shares of twitter at an artificially deflated price because once it was announced once his shareholding was announced the price went up the price of the stocks went up so hey, that's cu- in, that's nuts too that people are like oh yeah we trust elon musk i mean we're tesla's like killing people or something yeah I, yeah <laughs> But so he was because he was 11 days late filing this report, I think he made 100. I, th- I think it saved him like one hundred and fifty six million dollars. That's that's quite the bargain. Better than anything I've ever gotten at Kohl's, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, even also, with all that Kohl's cash. <laughs> yeah, I was OK. I mean, I'm sorry to go on a tangent, but the. The more I hear about the cryptocurrency world, and I do actually know, before anybody gets in my mentions that I just don't understand crypto, it is like, I have to research it a lot for work. And there are these things called airdrops where they will airdrop cryptocurrency to people's digital wallets, like giving away free coins as a way to kind of jumpstart a new coin that's been created. I'm like, this is Cole's cash. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I honestly don't. I, I've never been too into crypto. There's people that know way more about it than than I do. I do. I did live in the Bay Area for a long time, and people are very, very, very into crypto there. Mm-hmm. There's all these like anarcho capitalists, like um, dudes who are. I don't know. They're very committed to the idea that like crypto is going to bring about like freedom and 
um, for, you know, people who are in developing nations and it's actually, I mean, that's the Grimes school of thought. Yeah. It's just, (laughs) yeah. I mean, it's a really, I mean, it's, it's a funny thing because their assessment in some ways of like what, you know, what's a problem can be true, but the solution is bonkers. Like, it's like like anything to avoid saying capitalism is a problem, you know? Exactly. Your your assessment is correct. Your conclusion is wrong. Yeah. Um, And Naomi Klein wrote a a really good book, which I, well, it's a a slim volume. If I remember correctly, it's only about um, 60 pages, but it's about, you know, what crypto is crypto and climate change basically and what crypto is doing to natural resources particularly in puerto rico where all these crypto colonies are to um basically get extremely low energy costs and then you know there's there's deals with the puerto rican government you know for these like uh, crypto bros to move there and i mean it's really horrible um the the mining of the cryptocurrency takes so 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 much energy like it's just yeah. it it's one of the worst things that an individual could do um and people people have questions about that and if you don't know anything about cryptocurrency um you're like how does this digital currency take how does it how is there so much energy used to mine it because it requires like really advanced processors, computer processors, and a ton of energy to do it. Um, so that's how. Well, and it's going to take more and more energy to do mm-hmm. because so the thing is, is like, and maybe we'll have someone on to explain this for real at some point. But basically, the way that Bitcoin is mined, not sure about other cryptocurrencies, but I think it's the same is there's a math mathematical equation that has to be solved and the equations used to be something that like theoretically an individual who was really good at math could do but now it actually requires computers and Mm -hmm. it it just the the more bitcoin is mined the harder the math problem gets to solve it so you know it, it can take a ton of computer power to be able to to do it and if you know anything about the two of us in our show, you know that we as a podcast are diametrically opposed to anything involving math. It's Yeah, it's racist. Math is racist. Math is racist <laughs> yeah. and classist and math is counter-revolutionary. I don't really think that math is racist. I've, I've seen conservatives tweet sometimes that they think that libs think that or whatever. I do not personally think that math is racist. I don't think that either. I just, but it's, it's, fun, very, it's fun to say. Yeah, it's, oh man... Okay, so I do want to talk for a second about this obsession with grooming. Um, th- yeah. This is really weird. I, it is, you cannot, you know, this podcast is, is we try to keep it mostly about material issues, but also a little bit about the internet. And you can't go on the internet at all anymore without seeing a, discussion of pedophilia (laughs) well it's it's not even the internet per se it's like it's becoming a mass cultural issue it's like it's it's off the internet i mean it is certainly a uh it's a cornerstone of the the QAnon belief system um 
but yeah, there, there's just like more and more accusations of like grooming and pedophilia or whatever. Anyways, Judge Jackson has been confirmed. Um, but so, you know, obviously there was a lot of Supreme Court uh, there was, you know, the hearing and um, there was, you know, I think who was it? Was it Lindsey Graham that went into that whole like line of questioning that made it seem like she was pro pedophilia or something? And yeah, but or, so, yeah. yeah, it was Lindsey. It was like there were uh, several lines of question. I think the pedophilia one was either Lindsey Graham or Rand Paul. Maybe both. I don't know. But I yeah, I do remember Lindsey Graham was at least one of them. But, you know, so it it went up uh, a little bit after that. But, you know, this this grooming accusation has been just it's like to me, it's it's really strange for a lot of reasons. One, because there's really nowhere to go after you accuse someone of pedophilia. That's the absolute worst thing that you can accuse someone of. So. You know, you got to leave it as your closer, really. It's like there's just you're out of insults after you got to pedophilia. But, you know, there's all of these like so there's this account libs of TikTok, which people may have seen retweeted um, onto their timeline. And, you know, I mean, some of the stuff they post. Look, are we am I one to say that there's never an example of a a lib being ridiculous? No, for sure. I mean, there's, you know, there's been really like people being sort of a bit over the top on that. But, you know, they've started posting these videos of teachers, particularly like elementary school and preschool teachers, um, usually a gender non-conforming person. Um, there was one that Tucker Carlson aired on his show either last night or the night before. There was this preschool teacher that was talking about um, how they were Polly and a witch. And um, <laughs> they were, yeah, they were Polly and a witch. And what, what else? Something else. Oh, ba- non-binary, I think. But, uh, you know, this person is accused. The yeah, this person is is being accused of of grooming by a lot of people. I saw um one of the same things happen to uh, Tanya from the Trillbillies. Um, that this wasn't on lips of TikTok, but someone found this like um sex positivity summer camp that she was running with some other witches, self identified witches, and the camp was like it was online and it was clearly for adults. Like it was yeah. clearly like. The, it wasn't it wasn't camp for kids. It was like a sex education workshop for yeah grownups, you know. But I think because they had had either she was you know had taught some sort of age appropriate sex education for teenagers who honestly should be receiving sex education, especially yeah. if you're going to take all the birth control away um, and abortion. <laughs> so you know, but they're just starting to see this like wave of just grooming accusations for anybody who is talking about anyone any kind of sexuality i don't mean sexuality like having sex i mean you know just hey i am a trans person or i am a gay person or i believe it's people talking to 
to teens about condom usage. And uh, it's just, it's getting really gross. I don't like to think about pedophilia. Well, okay. So here's my, and if this gets a little heavy, I'm sorry, but this is an inherently like heavy subject. Um, The thing that is so alarming about this trend in the discourse is that it's both kind of exploiting but also flattening the the discourse on like child sexual abuse like real child sexual abuse it's and which is so pervasive and it's it's one of the you know I think I've talked about it as it relates to QAnon before um but it's becoming more mainstream it's not just QAnon anymore but like this idea that pedophiles are this kind of like group of others and who can just be kind of done away with is just not the realities of child sexual abuse it's most like most i've done a lot of research on this myself i have experience with this myself and I, most children who are preyed upon are done so by people who are known to them, and it is mostly family members. Mostly so, family members, and also there's been a huge problem in religious communities, you know? Sure. In the Catholic Church, obviously, giant child molestation scandal. And sure. calling it a scandal yeah, feels dismissive in no, some way. No, totally. Yeah. No, it was an epidemic. Um, But even so, even just like, it's very, even with the priesthood, that's very easy to just be like, oh, well, as long as we extricate ourselves from the Catholic Church, then that's, that the Catholic Church has all the, where pedophiles are truly everywhere. Child sexual abuse is so much more common than people understand. Um... And that's why, you know, I got really frustrated with some of the responses I was receiving when, you know, the Texas full abortion ban went through with no exceptions for rape and incest. People act like incest doesn't happen and it is so common it would make your fucking head spin. Yeah, I... And that's what concerns me about this... That's what really concerns me about this discourse is that it's making it's like almost making light of of this issue. Yeah, it's absolutely disgusting. Um, one of the main people pushing this particular line of attack is James Lindsay. Do you know who that is? Oh, He's, refresh he's, my memory. He's conceptual James on Twitter, and I don't think we've ever done a, like a, an in-depth look at him, but we should sometime um, because yeah. he is like the reply guy of reply guys. So he it, has been one of the main people to um, call critical critical theory. Um, you know, like what like. either one of the biggest or maybe even the biggest threat to humanity right now um he wrote a book on it any any critical theory any critical theory so critical theory 
the origin of critical theory comes from the some, this institution called the Frankfurt School, which was, I think, founded in the 1930s um, by uh, people who were trying to study why communism wasn't taking off, you know, because it Marx has capital communist manifesto and Marx's assertion, um, which I'd like to believe is true, is that communism is not something like communism will happen. It's a stage of history. It's a science, right? Like just mm-hmm. as we moved from feudalism to capitalism and from, you know, uh, slave society to feudalism and from primitive communism to slave society, like communism will just happen. And so there are um, many, many people, many scholars who were looking at, okay, why is it not actually happening? Um, to the theory that I buy into the most is um, Gramsci, the Italian scholar who talks about cultural hegemony and basically how the bourgeois has, they they run all of these institutions like media, you know, Fox News being, or MSNBC even being like the the perfect example to kind of push um, capitalism in the superstructure so that people really, you know, they don't, they don't have class consciousness, right? Like we have these narratives like you know, actually, in order for innovation to happen, we need these billionaires. And, you know, Jeff Bezos is actually just really smart and worked the hardest. And just like all of <laughs> all of these things that when you see people like, you know, going against their own interests or or, or not doing revolution, as as would be the case for, um, you know, people who are <laughs> communists, what they want to happen, you know. Um, so there's the Frankfurt School. And so they... They had a critical theory originates from that school and it was originally sort of like um, a a study of like how, you know, how um, like culture was um, influencing people to not do communism. I'm just explaining that in the, the dumbest language possible. But, you know, over time... It's become, I think, you know, there's several traditions and there are people that are pretty distant from actually having, uh, like, anything to do with Marx. Like, Robin DeAngelo would be somebody mm. that I would think, you know, I mean, she's giving, like, corporate workshops. So she, I, she, I think she's not a communist. I don't I don't even know what if she would say that she's a communist, but it really doesn't seem like it, you know? So... There's a ton of different kinds of critical theory. Critical race theory is one of the biggest um, topics of discussion right now on the right. Um, You know, we saw it uh, hugely and just like all over um, Judge Jackson's hearings. James Lindsay wrote a book on why critical theory is such a danger and particularly why critical race theory is, you know, a particularly big deal, but he's against all critical theory, this entire intellectual tradition and Mm. makes some pretty ridiculous assertions. So he got, he became really big on the right. Although I think he didn't originally identify as like a Trump MAGA guy. He did eventually embrace that route. I think kind of like a, uh, almost like a Dave Rubin 
type trajectory of like, oh, the left is just way too woke and, you know, like everyone's lost their minds. And so anyway, long way of saying that he has been one of the main people pushing this groomer accusation. I mean, just a a couple of couple of tweets from him uh, just from very recently. It's crucial to clearly disambiguate between LGBT equality and acceptance movements which are a civil rights issue and the capital queer agenda, which is a Marxist dash groomer hiding behind it. Yeah. These are the people that use cultural Marxism, which is a whole sort yeah. of different to me. Postmodern. They say, they say postmodern cultural Marxism, which is, which are two conflicting ideologies. Yes, exactly. <laughs> totally. Yeah. No, I, postmodernism is, you don't believe in meta narratives if you're a yeah. postmodernist, you know. So, meta narratives being something like Marx is a guy who he's like uh, all history is a cl- history of class struggle, you know. Like yeah. he he thinks well, one of the main things about Marx is that he thinks we can literally explain anything by looking at the economic base. That's as much of a meta narrative as you could possibly get. Yeah. It happens to be one that I really subscribe to, but you know, it's But yeah, and, and like postmodernists are people who are like a kind of rejecting enlightenment thinking and Marx is like Marxism is more or less like a modernist. He's a he is a he uses like a lot of enlightenment principles in his rationale. It's just like I, Natalie Wynn does this much better than I do, but she, in one of her videos about Jordan Peterson, she really, um, which I've watched several times and I wish that I were able to more articular, articulately um, kind of uh, distill her arguments, but she really does a great job explaining why postmodern cultural Marxism is a nonsense term. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's really stupid. He's calling Ariana Grande a groomer in this tweet that I just saw, which is, man. Uh, so yeah, I mean, he's just, I mean, people are calling, people are calling not even him, but just like people on the internet were calling Zoe Kravitz a predator for saying that, she thought when when she was like 21 and Jaden Smith was 16, she was like, she said that he was handsome to a reporter. And she was like, I need to remember that he's 16. And it's like, that's not predator shit. Predators don't, aren't like, whoops, better, better check myself. But yeah. that's going to be one of those things now forever. Like that, that really lit Twitter on fire. That's going to be one of those things now forever where if you're like, oh, oh my God, I love Zoe Kravitz's jeans. People are like, you know, she's a predator, right? Ugh, gross. Like that's what we're. Yeah. I mean, it's, I wonder if people, I think people can see on some level how ridiculous some of this shit is like I yeah. I don't know if people actually think that Ariana Grande is grooming children, but I don't know, right? Because it's like there's probably a certain amount of people who do. Like I remember, um, man, there was this comedian that this is. I'm just gonna straight up step to right now. I'm not gonna say her name, but 
I saw her, someone that has harassed me personally, and I saw her and like Chrissy Teigen's replies, sincerely accusing Chrissy Teigen of pedophilia, um, like in being, I think, in a, you know, just Hollywood, like Hollywood is full of pedophiles. Hollywood is full of capitalists and very shallow people. But I, and you know, there you got your Kevin Spacey's and stuff in there too, but it's not... I, I, I don't know. This the QAnon um, thinking is very weird. She didn't happen to be one of the comedians who was at the January sixth insurrection. Yeah, no, she went to the <laughs> she went to the January sixth insurrection. <laughs> well, comedians there you go. doing treason. Um, comedians doing treason for the rest of us. Yeah, um, but I mean this. You know, I mean, like, accusing particularly, um, like, people who do not conform to sexual or gender norms of pedophilia has been a long-standing issue. It was really, really pushed in the 1970s um, to, like, I think even in California, there was a bill to make sure that, um, like, to, to ban gay teachers and harvey milk yeah really. i mean yeah. that's like that's that's harvey milk that yeah. was like what the guy who killed harvey milk dan white yeah um was very against that um although apparently there was no actual twinkie defense you should listen to you're wrong about had a really good episode on that like the twinkie defense was kind of just something that a reporter used but the actual situation was this is it's not why he won his case, basically. That's a myth. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's... Here's the thing. You know, any of us who are... Like, even me, I'm... Uh, I remember the... I feel like all the way in the 90s and early 2000s, we heard about, like, will the gays recruit our children? Like... Everything feels like it's coming back around in a way that is bad. And it's starting to feel very like Weimar, Germany, 1933. <laughs> I, it's, it's weird because in some ways it is coming, like in some ways it is circling back around. But then on the other hand, it's like, it's a little different because it's so directed towards trans people at this point for the most part not always but i mean like the grooming accusation is far and wide but like somebody like james Lindsay or you know jk rowling or even even donald trump they'll say like oh we're fine with gay people like they're just they're not like and the it makes me think that in some ways, the like respectability politics narrative of like, you know, the 1990s, like, hey, we're just like you. We just want to have families and live in the suburbs and stuff. It, it kind of worked on these people, you know, but they're very. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of turfs use the gay community kind of as a cudgel in this. Um, like J.K. Rowling will not fucking shut up about all of her um like butch lesbian friends who and i don't know I, I whether or not she actually has any friends i think is up for debate but <laughs> just i just think that like 
I don't know. There was wasn't there a bill introduced somewhere in the U.S. that would like uh, distinguish gay marriages from straight marriages yeah. legally? Well, last week or something. I don't remember in the which last shade. week. Yeah, it all feels just like very backward. And obviously, like the "Don't Say Gay" bill in Florida, it's. Yeah, I mean, this whole, but, but you're right in the fact that people saying like, oh, we're, no, just do whatever you want. We just don't want our children to know about it. Yeah, um, so, I mean, I, I think, man, in a way, stuff is getting worse than um, the 90s. Did you see the story today? Um, Lizelle Herrera? I don't know, her, her last name is H-E-R-R-E-R-A. Apologies for my bad pronunciation. So she's 26 and she is in jail in Texas on a half a million dollar bond um, for allegedly taking an abortion pill um, that she had to go to the hospital for her abor- abortion. Um, and... Th- I I think, you know, details of the story are are still coming out, but basically there's no way to tell medically if somebody has taken an abortion pill. Um, So if you take one in Texas or any of these red states, never admit it. Just say that you had a miscarriage, although that's not going to probably fully protect you either. But half a million dollar bail and she's being charged with murder. It's dystopian hmm. it's horrific which makes man it's just i'm thinking about you know the beginning of the beginning of our conversation matt taibbi's uh laws can be repealed well you can't repeal a baby you know once you exactly. actually give birth this to that I'm baby saying. yeah um but i i mean a, a murder charge for taking an abortion pill is just i mean and yeah, it's just this is this is another thing that I like it's not even just Matt Taibbi's tweet where like being taken off of social it's like people really there are some people out there who really talk like cancel culture is quote unquote is the most dangerous force facing our society. Um and I just don't know how you can do that with a fucking straight face if you pay attention to anyone outside of your immediate uh, type of person. Yeah, I'm I'm not I'm not particularly a cancel culture skeptic, but the amount to which it's been blown out of proportion is pretty ridiculous, I think. Okay, can I can I share something? I went to a very prominent comedy club here in New York City. Uh, over the weekend with my brother. Actually, no, not even over the weekend. A few days ago with my brother, uh, who is in town. And everyone was great. Like, I mean, it's a club, so you kind of know what you're in for in terms of, like, club comedy. But everybody was great. Everybody was, like, like, there were a lot of comics I knew there who were so good. And then the most famous comedian on the show... Um, And he's not a household name, but he certainly is famous in a particular 
sector of the world uh of of the american population uh and people who consume comedy um like he had his own show he <laughs> is like an anti-cancel culture warrior and in the course of his set he impersonated a disabled person he impersonated a korean person he did jokes about women in the kitchen how asian people can't drive and middle eastern people flying on carpets and he kept he those were like the worst of the jokes there were actually some like normal good jokes in there and i'm enough of like like i consume enough comedy to know when something is a good joke he just like all these fucking jokes he kept being like people were a little uncomfortable obviously with some of them he was like you guys don't have to be woke all the time you can laugh i'm like if you have to keep telling the audience that they can laugh maybe the problem is is that it's not funny yeah <laughs> yeah i agree and, and i don't know i just like it really he, again he was the most successful person on the lineup by far like he's a millionaire and I don't know. I was just like, also, this is a club audience. They are the ones who are going to laugh at this shit anyways. Like, it's like, they're not like woke culture war. They're not SJWs. People going to the, to going to comedy clubs in New York, in Manhattan are not too woke. Your jokes are just bad. Try harder. Yeah. It's a lot of tourists from middle America. Exactly. So, I mean, to quote Kim Kardashian, get your fucking ass up and work. Okay, so I did, I want to talk about that for a second. <laughs> Kim Kardashian and the get your fucking the the get your fucking ass up on and work. Um, not not Kim in particular, but so for the past couple of weeks, I've been doing a lot of research on anti work politics, and I'm I'm into it. I think it's I think it's a pretty cool tradition. Um. Let's hear it. I don't know. I don't know much about the tradition. Okay. So have you done any, um, have you ever seen the anti-work subreddit? No. Um, so I'm not on Reddit. I wasn't on Reddit either until I discovered, um, what did I discover? Oh man, I've been, I followed so many cat accounts by now, but, um, <laughs> there is a subreddit called the illegally small cats, which is just oh. pi pictures of newborn kittens or very new kittens, maybe not newborn, but five, six week old kittens doing bad things. Um, and with captions like this criminal has been arrested <laughs> and I, although I'm not, um, particularly into, um, you know, cops or whatever. We don't, we, like look, we don't, we don't support the carceral state, <laughs> yeah. but we love to threaten to put our cats under arrest. Exactly. So anyway, the subreddit has really taken off in the past two years. Um, and has, it has also been like a, definitely nothing like grooming, but it's also been a pretty robust discussion among, uh, you know, conservatives and this idea that nobody wants to work in particular. So the subreddit is, has a few different types of posts that come up pretty often. Most common one by far is people posting texts of them telling off their boss and quitting. Um, or, you know, second, probably most common, just descriptions of truly horrible working conditions or like 
you know, in, insane and often illegal signs, like, mm-hmm. you know, things like you'll be fired immediately if we find out that you've been discussing pay, you know, and um, there's now like almost 2 million members. And the moderator, one of the moderators from the subreddit went on Fox News in January, um, I think against a vote, against the results of a vote of the Reddit and was, I think, removed as a moderator. But this interview was really bad, um, to say the least. It was kind of like if Aaron Sorkin had written it without any finesse. Yeah, it was not. (laughs) It was like, I I, I think, you know, this, the moderator, I think was named Doreen Ford and just really, it just seemed like it was just a kind of complete and total setup. You know, I was on Jesse Waters' show, and she you had, like, a very messy room, and which I do, too. No shade. But, you know, it was just, like, kind of exactly what you just would imagine, like, a Reddit moderator's room would look like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, really poor lighting. And was, you know, Jesse Waters was just completely going after this person and just like so you're saying you don't want to work what do you want to do with your time but i've been you know i've so been looking into it not just this interview but there's like a pretty long tradition of anti-work politics and it's not mm. so it's not like within any particular ideology like mm-hmm. arguably marx has anti-work politics <laughs> um also, anarchists, this guy named Bob Black. There's a French socialist who his name I'm pronouncing wrong. Uh, looks like, I, man, I should have really looked it up, but it looks like Lafargue, and he was actually Karl Marx's son-in-law and was responsible for translating much of Marx's work into French and popularizing socialism in France. Um, there is, you know, D- David Graeber is somebody that listeners probably know on this show i think passed away in 2020 which was really sad because he was just such a profoundly brilliant person but basically this sub is an anti-work politics in general it's about uh the idea of work abolition so you got people on here that are into like there's people who just want to tell off their boss and right you, are probably one presumes you know apolitical or liberal but just hate their boss and hate their job um but th- there's also like a lot of people in this movement who want to straight up abolish work and mm-hmm. by work they mean like wage labor so mm-hmm. Karl Marx he was uh, like his his vision for communism. He was a poster. He <laughs> loved to post. <laughs> so obviously, Karl Marx, he not a fan of wage labor. He was um, he, his his vision famously articulated was uh, you know from each according to his ability to each according to his need. Hold on, I'm going to pull up the full quote here. Um but he was um you know the idea was basically you know in a post-capitalist society, a communist society, 
There's not going to be, there's, we won't, people will just produce the products that we all need to live. We don't have to produce extra stuff to be able to, we're not making money for anybody. Like there's no, there's no more exchange value in a, um, after capitalism. So like, there's still going to have to be doctors. There's still going to have to be people making clothes, but like enough clothes for people to wear. Right. And then right. basically the rest of our time is in a higher phase of communist society after the enslaving subordination of the individual to the division of labor. And therewith, also the antithesis between mental and physical labor has vanished after labor has become not only a means of life, but life's prime want after the productive forces have also increased with all around development of the individual and all the springs of cooperative wealth flow more abundantly. Only then can the narrow horizon of bourgeois right be crossed in its entirety and society inscribe on its banners from each according to his ability to each according to his needs. So he also has this quote that is like, basically, we're not going to have um, like in a communist society, we wouldn't have like jobs that are like necessarily your like your thing that you're always always doing we would mm -hmm. like he says for as soon as the distribution of labor comes into being each man has a particular exclusive sphere of activity which is forced upon him and from which he cannot escape he is a hunter a fisherman a herdsman or a critical critic and must remain so if he does want to if he does not want to lose his means of livelihood well, in communist society, where nobody has one exclusive sphere of activity, but each can become accomplished in any branch he wishes, society regulates the general production and thus makes it possible for me to do one thing today and another thing tomorrow, to hunt in the morning, fish in the afternoon, rear cattle in the evening, criticize after dinner, just as I have a mind without ever becoming a hunter, fisherman, herdsman, or critic. So mm. basically we can... You know, we can watch um, our cats in the morning, post in the afternoon, you know, then maybe <laughs> make, right. make food for everybody to enjoy together. But, Rear our cattle. Yeah. <laughs> but basically there's not, you know, and there's still, so, you know, when I was looking into this, I thought, okay, but we're still really going to, like, we'll need doctors and we'll, you know we will need like there's there's a lot of jobs that people do need to do and i so i found the work of david graber who it was an anthropologist and um he, he taught at the london school of economics and was also public intellectual really great and he has this idea called bullshit jobs have you yeah. heard of bullshit jobs yeah 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 it's so, pretty famous it's yeah. a, it's like a famous book yeah so here's a quote from the original article that he wrote before his book in the year 1930 john maynard keynes predicted that by century's end technology would have advanced sufficiently that countries like great britain or the united states would have achieved a 15-hour work week there's every reason to believe he was right in technological terms we are quite capable of this and yet it didn't happen. Instead, technology has been marshaled, if anything, to figure out ways to make us all work more. In order to achieve this, jobs have been created that are effectively pointless. 
huge swaths of people in European and North America in particular spend their entire lives performing tasks they secretly believe do not need to be performed. The moral and spiritual damage that comes from this situation is profound. It is a scar across our collective soul, yet no one talks about it. So David Graeber goes into these different categories of bullshit jobs. Um, a couple of them are the lackey, somebody whose job basically just exists to make other people f- feel important. Like he gives the example of a receptionist who at a, a place that gets like one phone call a day, but basically like, you know, to just have someone sitting there makes the the lawyers who run that firm feel important. You know, yeah. he, he has a category uh, called goons, which is basically people who do have jobs, but it's only like, they, they wouldn't need those jobs if their competition didn't have those jobs. So the example mm-hmm. that he gives is telemarketers, um, duct tapers, which, whose jobs only exist because nobody wants to fix a problem that is fixable without which that person would not need their job. So he gives the example of at a university he worked at, um, there was a shelf that needed to be fixed in his office and there was a carpenter that he was always trying to get in touch with. The school had one carpenter, so he was trying to get in touch with this carpenter to come fix his shelf. And the carpenter was really busy, so they basically had a whole person whose job it was to apologize for the carpenter being busy instead of <laughs> hiring a second carpenter. But it's so basically, he found, I think, that 40% of people have some kind of bullshit job. So this is all work that, like, the people doing it are self-identifying. It's like, I actually do nothing at work all day. So, and it makes people feel bad. So it's not like there, it's not like there wouldn't be in, like, a post-work future. Or, like, there wouldn't be, like, nothing to do. People would be doing things that they find useful and therefore feel better about themselves because, you know, these kinds of jobs make people feel really depressed and alienated. Have you ever had a bullshit job? I mean, most of them. Yeah, I would say me too. Most of my jobs have been bullshit jobs. I don't think I have any bullshit jobs right now, Um, but I definitely have had... My last job was an extremely bullshit job. Um, So there's an anarchist named Bob Black who has some really he he writes an essay the abolition of work which is really really fun um i i love it i'm gonna read you this passage here um liberals say we should end employment discrimination i say we should end employment conservatives support right to work laws following Karl marx's wayward son paula farg i support the right to be lazy leftists favor full employment like the surrealists except mine that i'm not kidding i favor full unemployment Trotskyists agitate for permanent revolution. I agitate for permanent revelry. But if all the ideologues, as they do, advocate work, and not only because they plan to make other people do theirs, they are strangely reluctant to say so. They will carry on endlessly about wages, hours, working conditions, exploitation, productivity, profitability. They'll gladly talk about anything but work itself. These experts who offer to do our thinking for us, rarely share their conclusions about work for all its saliency in the lives of all of us. 
Among themselves, they quibble over the details. And this is interesting right here, too, because this next section I found particularly salient. Unions and management agree that we ought to sell the time of our lives in exchange for survival, although they haggle over the price. Marxists think we should be bossed by bureaucrats. Libertarians think that we should be bossed by businessmen. Feminists don't care which form of bossing, which form bossing takes, so long as the bosses are women. Clearly, these ideology, these ideology mongers have serious differences over how to divvy up the spoils of power. Just as clearly, none of them have any objection to power as such, and all of them want us to keep working. So he, he critiques even Marxists, even mm-hmm. um, things that leftists usually like, like unions. Uh, Lafargue also talks about and he was writing in 1883, and I think he wrote this essay in prison. Um, but he, <laughs> yeah, okay. Honestly, it is so French. It is like so French to be like it is marrette to be lazy. <laughs> well, yeah. So basically, you know, he's talking about like workers advocating for better working conditions, and that yeah. you know it's considered to be. The ultimate ideal working condition is not working at all. Yeah, I mean, just to, I mean, specifically, no wage labor doesn't mean that no one will do things. And so, you know, obviously this all sounds, I think, pretty idealistic. uh, But I talked to a sociologist who was really talking about how these ideas are not like distant future things. Um, So... One way that she was talking about how these ideas are extremely relevant now, she was talking about the welfare rights movement in the 1960s. And basically, this was a militant movement primarily of women that were basically organizing that, like, no, every single human should have a should be able to have their survival needs met without work. Almost like a a pre-version of UBI, which like obviously Andrew Yang uh, mm. has this kind of like technocracy view of it where, you know, automation is inevitable and we're going to give people like just enough to survive. Well, well, it's yeah, it's not even I mean, you you could you could do it that way, but uh, a robust social safety net would uh, would achieve the same the same ends, right? Like if you know if your housing were provided to you, and your food were provided to you by the state, like if it were all provided to you by the state, that would work in the same way, right? Yeah. So that's that was her next point. That basically, like in terms of like you know what is an anti work goal look like right now? Things like housing. Um, like basically, you know, that everybody has the right to housing. Housing is a right. Healthcare is a right. And basically detaching as much as possible of survival from employment so that there's not the compulsion to stay in any particular work situation, um, you know, that you, you don't actually need to like you don't have to work to be able to get cancer treatment. You don't have to work to have a, a roof over your head. You just these basic things are guaranteed. And so, you know, at minimum, even before we hopefully one day get to 
you know, our the, the beautiful communist future in which we <laughs> could be a poster in the afternoon and uh, <laughs> a cat petter in the evening. And, That's right. Yeah, a reply guy at night. Um, that, you know, as much as possible that work can be uh, detached from survival. And I think that that's why, you know, we're just seeing like, we kind of saw that to some extent for the first time with the expanded unemployment in the pandemic and things like eviction moratoriums and um, the stimulus checks that like that is actually, you know, what's been sort of driving to some extent the wave of labor organizing that we've seen because and not not just that but people being able to tell their boss to fuck off and then post a screenshot of it and the anti-work subreddit and you know we're getting like a tighter and tighter labor market so we are so people can quit a job and and get another one you know more easily than before and bosses have to treat workers better to be able to retain them you know and um you know, we're seeing like a, a giant crackdown. Um, like, I mean, just aside from like the Kim Kardashians and everybody saying like nobody wants to work. I mean, they got rid of the child tax credit and just anything to kind of push people back into the situation where they don't have any power in, yeah. to stand up to their boss. And they do have to work in terrible conditions to be able to survive. Basically, we we want to push back against that. All right. Yeah. I'm sold. Yeah. And so, anyway, I was thinking about... I mean, it's also, like, to, to some extent, some of the discussion around this kind of reminded me of police abolition, where there's people saying, like, oh, you know, we're saying abolish the police, but we don't really mean abolish the police. And there's other people saying, like, no, we do really mean abolish the police. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, we do yeah. really, really want to... And to kind of... I think there's this... Um, Ruth Wilson Gilmore. Do you know who she is? I do, yeah. Yeah, she, she talks about thinking about abolition and, like, you know, the basically people will sort of be like, what, what would we do to be safe? You know, if we just got rid of police and prison, like, what are we going to do with our criminals? And she talks about like, no, abolition is like it's it's a way of thinking about it. You know, so like what are the things that we would need to do like to be able to build a world without police and prison? Like that would probably mean investing in people now and reducing poverty so that people don't have to steal. So anti-work is like a way of thinking about the world where we think, okay, what do we have to do to actually not abolish all people doing things, but um, abolish the compulsion to work for a wage? Yeah. Wow. Covered so much ground on this yeah. episode. Okay, groomer. Yeah. <laughs> okay, groomer. I was thinking that too. I was like, that's that's got to be the uh, that's got to be the title of the yeah. episode. Um. Well. We did it, Kate. We did, we did it, it again. Right. We did anti-capitalism, and nobody can say otherwise. <laughs> uh, 
Everybody, thank you so much for continuing to support our our show and uh, our Patreon. Uh, throw us a few dollars if you like the show. Please rate and review us on uh, Apple Podcasts. That's it, baby. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to Reply Guys. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash reply guys, where we have a catalog of over 25 bonus interviews with renowned writers, journalists, and comedians with an additional episode uploaded each week. The show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Fremgen, who wrote the song with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's. And I'm at O Julia Tweets, O-H Julia Tweets. And Twitter is where you can, of course, also find our reply guys. They are always with us. Bernie, take us out. walking that ribbon of highway I saw above me that endless skyway I saw below me that golden valley this land was made for you and me this land is your land this land is mine